So we are going to get back into uh, some 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Um, also, too, if you're joining us online and, and possibly even the first time, first off and or in person here and you're joining us and you're new, we just want to say welcome. We're grateful to have you here with us this morning. We're, we're thankful that you've either tuned in or, or come to, uh, to, to worship with us. If you're looking for a church home, we certainly think that we're, we're one of those, um, and we would love to have you uh, to join us and to serve within our, our body. We also recognize that there's a number of great churches here in our community, and, and so if it wouldn't happen to be here, our encouragement is that, uh, is that you find a church body that God is calling you to. You plug into that, and you begin to serve in that church body. Uh, so, First John, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 15. But as we get into this, I wanted to start with this, okay? This is something that Pam shared uh, the other day in, our, uh, in an, our staff meeting. And I just want to read you this little uh, excerpt out of this book. It says this. It says, ours is an undisciplined age. The old disciplines are breaking down, and the foundations of society appear to be crumbling. The discipline of the home seems to be vanishing in the new psychology which teaches parents, obey your children. The discipline of the schoolroom is becoming anathema, according to the so-called progressive education. Lest the personality of the child be thwarted by the imposition of a will higher than his own. The old academic disciplines, mathematics, ancient language, grammar, are being ignored as obsolete and unimportant. Above all, the discipline of divine grace is derided as legalism or is entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. We need the rugged strength of Christian character that can come only from discipline, the discipline of spirit, mind, body, of society. Otherwise, the home will lose its heart as well as its hearth. The schoolroom, its strength, the textbooks, their exactness, the scriptures, their sanction. Here are some disciplines of life presented to Wheaton's brave sons and daughters, true, that they be sturdy citizens of the red, white, and blue. Just a question. When do you think that this was written? Just throw out some thoughts. What's that? Long time ago? Long time ago? Yeah? 1948. 1948. So it's just an interesting thing that a lot of times, you know, we think that some of the things that we're going through are new things, but they're not new things. That in reality, that we have struggled with the same basic struggles as humans that we always have, just this desire, the pull of the flesh, the, the, the ways, the systems of the world and those kinds of things. So that's, that's what we're going to deal with, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And before we get into the text itself, I want to really just, I want to just tell us that this is about God's love. This, this text and what God is trying to tell us is about his love for us. It's about a passionate pursuit that God has for, for each and every soul that he's created, that he is a God who is desiring relationship and is pursuing relationship with us. And before you ever thought about God, before one thought of God ever crossed your mind, God was already in pursuit of a relationship with you and with myself as well. And so I, I, wanna, I want us to remember that this is, that God has really good ways for us, that his ways are meant to bless us, both 
not just individually, but also as a culture, as a society, that, that there's a bigger picture for what God is doing. And his ways are always good and they're always right. And this is much about the order that God has really determined uh, for life. So let's read this, two cha- two, three verses, so much here. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there it is, and, and these three verses are incredibly deep. There's so much here. Don't know that we'll do it justice. We could, we could literally talk about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. So what is the world? Let's just start with this, because this tells us that, that we're not to love the world, nor the things of the world. So what does that mean? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We, we sang about God's love for the world even this morning, but yet here we're told not to love the world or the things of the world. So what is he talking about? What does this mean? The, the Greek word here is cosmos, and, and, but it doesn't really refer what, what he's talking about and what John is, is bringing up to us isn't the idea of, of a, uh, the creation, it's not just about the universe. It's not about the physical universe that, that God has created. It's, it's really beginning to talk about a system. It's about a system and an order that is, has been uh, placed in, in the path of things. It's, it really has to do with a fallen world and the systems that have come out of that world. It's the opposition and the indifference to God's design and His order. It's an empty passing of values, and it's a disorder of passions. This is what the world is that John is discussing and talking about. It's, it's not the people that are in the world. It's the systems of the world. It's the order to the world. And it's that order that has come out of a source that is in contradiction to God and the things of God. This, is, this order itself has a different origin to it than God. And so God is now telling us that there are places in our lives and there are places in this world where the roads diverge, that they go different directions, and, and there is a different source to some of these things. And so we're told here in this thing not to love the world or the things in the world. Now, God, when He says that He, for God so loved the world, It did not mean that God loved the systems of the world. It didn't mean that he loved the behaviors of the world or the sinful things necessarily that were going on in the world, but he did love you and I. He loved the people. And this is exactly the call on the church for us here today is that we're to remember that we do not do battle against flesh and blood. Um, Ephesians 6, uh, it tells us that very, very plainly that there's, we're not fighting against people. People are not your enemy, and people are not our enemy. The church should not be coming against people. See, God came for the people of this broken world because he loved them and because he wanted to deliver them into something different. You see, see, it's, it's through Jesus and it's through the cross that this means or this way of second birth becomes possible. 
So while we may be born into a lot of things into this world, we may be born into different proclivities and, and, and tendencies and temptations and pullings and drawings and make no bones about it. The things are real. Otherwise, John wouldn't be talking about this to us. If the temptations weren't a reality, there'd be no need for this. But he's giving us this instruction because there's a reality that you and I can be, tend to be pulled into directions that really don't have their source or their origin really in God. They have their source and their origin within the systems that are in rebellion to the things of this world that are, that, that are in order here, that, are, that have come to play. But God is always loving the people. And in so going to the cross, he's made a way where he is rescuing people out of this broken system. He's rescuing us out, out of that and into something different. He's rescuing us into being a new creation. And I want us to always just remember, I've said this before, but the day that I don't believe in the new creation is the day that I just go to the mountain on Sunday or the lake or something like that. You see, I have no more message for anybody if I don't have a message of new creation for you here today, that you can be made new, that we can be taken out of, that we are not subject to, we are not captive to the sin that, that this world would have, and, that, and, and even to the places where the world would just have us to just be quiet and stay there. You see, God wants to bring us through a second birth into something completely new. You see, what he's telling us is don't love the system of this world and the things that this system produces within the world. These are the things that we are, as believers are not to love. And, and the word is interesting because that word of, of love is the same type of word as, that we use that we would love God with. It's agapo love. It's an agape kind of a love that we're supposed to have back towards God just this love that we have, and we're not supposed to have that in the same way towards the world or towards the system or the things that this world is producing. See, and it goes on to tell us, really, it says that, that, that if we love or we desire these things of the world or if we're, we're, just, we're just all about it and we're pursuing these things and this is what our life is about, that the love of the Father probably isn't in us at that point. It's, it's, it's that black and white. It's just that now... now don't hear this, church. I'm not saying that, that as a church body or as us individually that everybody in here is struggling with things of the world, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that the, that the love of the Father isn't in you, that you're struggling with different things or that we have these pulls that the world has and that we're wrestling with those different things or those temptations or, or, or those things. It doesn't mean that the love of the Father, but if we're just all about it, if we're all about it, if this is who we are, and that really demonstrates that the, just the love of the Father just isn't in us. We're not regenerated. We're not a new creation. We're, our spirit hasn't been awakened or quickened or brought back to life so that we're able to commune and hear from God and understand the things of God. And it tells us that the love for God is manifest in obedience. Jesus says this very thing. Um, he says, if you love me, You'll follow my commands. If you, it'll just, it'll be a part of it. If you actually love me, then you'll do the things that I say. It's, it's the same with, we would, we would understand this very much so as well with our children or something. If they, if they had absolutely would not listen to a thing that we had to say, we would have to question the, the nature of our relationship with our kids and where that was actually sitting. 1 John 2, 5, earlier in the chapter, it, it defines what this looks like. 
what this love of God looks like. And it says that, by, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. And so what, one of the things that happens when, when a person becomes a, a, a real follower of Christ, when we really make that transaction and we, we really trust in Jesus with everything of our being and we, we ask him to, to forgive us and to restore us and to be Lord of our lives is that is it we have a difference in our relationship with sin. I, I think I've, I've told you this before, but, but like for me, before I was a Christian, even though I probably would have said I was a Christian if you'd to kind of put me in a corner and hem me up and said, well, what are you? You know, are you a Buddhist? Are you a Muslim? Are you a Christian? What are, I'd be like, well, I don't know. I guess I'm a Christian because I grew up in America and I went to church on Christmas and Easter and things like that. But you see, when me and my friends went out on Friday night or whatever, the destination was sin. Oh, sin. <laughs> it was where we were headed. It was, it was, it was, the, it was the object. It was, it was what we were pursuing. But today I stand before you not as a guy who's got it all figured out, who's, who, who, who isn't struggling, who doesn't have his stuff. But you see, that's no longer my destination. That's no longer the object of my life. My object is to, is to please God and to, and to follow Christ. And at times I fall short of that and I sin, just like you do. And, and, and so, so it's this idea, this desires that he's talking about are these, it, it's a passionately desiring this thing. It's a, it's a lusting after, it's a covetous kind of a, of a pull. And, and there's a problem with, with, with where we sit in, in a lot of these things because, see, it says that basically, I think it was Chesterton or somebody said that there, there's three big struggles in the Christian life and, 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 and that's these three things that it's it's that it's around us, the world is around us, it's in us, and it's over us. So this is the, the spot that we live in. We live in a world, it's, it's all around us. The systems of the world are in opposition to God. The, the things that are, that are all around, all of the voices that are, that are so loud in the culture today, whenever you get online or you begin to look at, you know, so many of those voices are just in a complete contradiction and rebellion to the things of God. They don't want the things of God. They don't desire the things of God. And so it's all around us. And so there's all of this noise that's going into our heads all of the time. It's around us all of the time. It's in us. So we got to be accountable to it. Um, it, it it's in us. The, um, I'm going to move forward here really quick and then, and then come back. James 1, 14 and 15 says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is the fruit of this. You see, it's around us all of the time, and it's in us too. There's a draw. And even as a believer, you're, you're, you're being drawn, and there, there's, a, there's a battle that's going on, and there's a temptation towards sin within the believer. And if we're honest about that, right, John tells us in 1 John, like if we say we have no sin, then the truth isn't in us, and we make him out to be a liar. So, right, it's like, you know, we, we don't want to do that. I mean, the Bible says, let, let God be right and every man a liar. So, hi, my name is Try and I'm a liar, you know. But God is right. God is always right. But you see, there's this, there's this differentiation between his kingdom and the other. It says in John 18 here, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not 
from this world. Jesus begins to teach that, that there is, there, there's a different thing that he's bringing. There's a different kingdom that is his. And that, there is a, that means that there's a kingdom that really is in opposition to the kingdom that he represents. It, it's over us as well. And, and what the Bible teaches very clearly, Ephesians 6 uh, in particular, is that there's a spiritual battle that's going on in the world around us, over us, in the unseen realm, that there's a reality of good and evil, that there is a spiritual realm and there is a spiritual battle that's happening. There really is evil in this world, and there really is a push for evil things to be brought to the forefront and foisted upon the culture and upon the people. And these things always end in the same way they bring death. They don't bring goodness. They don't bring life because they set themselves in opposition to the things of God. Jesus, when he was talking to some of the Pharisees, he, he told them this. He said, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So he tells us here that there is a, there is a, a voice of deceit that is going out into the world around us. There, there is a, an on-purpose campaign, an agenda of, of wrong and evil things that are being foisted upon the world that is drawing the world into a place of, 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 of chaos, a place of, of, um, of brokenness, a, a place really ultimately of death. See, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Jesus says that, that it's the, the little g God of this world, that the authority of this world has been turned over to Satan through our rebellion. Now, one day, Jesus is going to come back, and he's, he's going to write that, and he's going to take that rightful place back, and he's going he's to fix the things that are broken. But for today, we sit under this little g God, or this, the, the authority of the world, uh, being not, uh, having its origins within Satan. Now, now it's not that it, things are out of God's control by any means. Everything still comes across his desk, and he's rescuing people out of this system. But it says that he has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. So this letter is to the church, it's to us, it's to believers, it's to those who, who no longer are stuck in the darkness, because too often the church starts to act like people who are outside of the church ought to act like they're inside of the church. You see, you should never expect lost people not to do lost things. Lost people do lost things. They behave in lost ways. The the. You can't expect that the world out there is going to behave itself according to Christian principles. And you shouldn't be a person who's out there with the highest thing on your list being that the world would begin to live by Christian principles. And if the world would just live by Christian principles, then we'll all be happy. Now, don't get me wrong. We'll live in a much better world when Christian principles are applied to the world around us. But if you want to see change in the world, principles and rules and regulations and laws do not change people. Jesus changes lives. It's the new creation. It's this new thing that God is pulling us into. It's regeneration. It's rebirth. And this should be the heart of the church because this is the heart of God. 
See, the world is just stuck, and the world is stuck in this, in, in, in this system of saying when 51% of the people do whatever, now it's okay, and it's good, and it's now the new morality. But you see, this is why it's so important for us to know God's Word. You see, when we abide in God's Word and we understand that we have a standard by which to measure from, we have a standard by which to look at life from and to say, what is the origin of this thing that we're talking about? Where is its origin? Is it of the world or, if it's of, or is it of God? And you see, it can't be of God if it stands in opposition to the Word of God. If fundamentally it stands in opposition to God's Word, then its, its source is the world. And we're told to not love that. Now, we're never told not to love the person who is being deceived by that thought or that idea or that action or was practicing out that behavior. We're always supposed to be like Jesus who loved them so much that he went after them to provide for them a new way, to be a new creation. It's the greatest message that the church has is that the Spirit of God can come and it can, it can literally um, indwell you and I and it can indwell people who are lost and it can change your life. And if you can't look at your life today and say, I believe my life has changed. I believe that something has happened. I believe I had an encounter with, with, the, with the creator of, of, of me, then maybe you have to look at that. Maybe you have to evaluate, have I, have I ever done that? Have I ever submitted to his lordship? Have I ever truly made him lord of my life? Have I just th- believed things about him? Have I just believed things that the Bible kind of said? You see, this isn't a prescription. This isn't an equation to where I go, okay, I do this and then I believe this and now my destination is heaven. You see, this is a, this is a going all in kind of a thing. This, this, is, this is a dying to self and living to Christ. This is dying. This is, this is losing our life so that we might find it. This is becoming a follower of Jesus, not just someone who gives lip service to the idea or the thought of following Jesus. It's his people really beginning to follow close after him. See, that's what it says, 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received from the spirit of the world, we've received from the spirit of the world, and the spirit of the world has, has influenced the church way too much. And, and it's got our thinking a little bit kind of twisted because it's a loud voice and it's coming from all these directions. But, but, here, listen, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God, that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, that, that we've been given the ability to hear. Again, we've we talked about this. When you, when you receive the spirit of God, see, the Bible says that the natural man discerns not the things of the spirit, for they are spiritually discerned or understood. If, if you are spiritually dead and separated from God, You're not going to hear the things of God. Why? Because God does not speak to the flesh. God has pronounced that the flesh must die, and his way of speaking is to the Spirit. Now, he has a way of speaking into us, our soul, to help us to see and to understand and to come into relationship with him. But when you come into relationship with him 
Like I've said before, it's like you had a tuner. It's like you had the stereo tuner, but it was off of the station, and all you could hear was... But when we come into relationship with Christ and our spirit is made new, and we, become, we come into alignment with who he is and the, and the things of who he is and his word, and that it's like that. It goes right into that station. Now we can hear and we can discern and we can begin to understand the things of God. And we begin to agree with the things of God. We begin to say, this is good because God has declared this to be good, and this is not good because God has declared this to not be good. See, then we're not subject to the world anymore. Our eyes are no longer blind. But the Christian does live in this spot of that we're, we're wrestling. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Isn't that interesting that it would say that, that this whole meaning of this and the whole thing that you need, to, why you need to walk in the Spirit and why I need to walk in the Spirit is to keep us from doing what we want to do, that I have a natural proclivity towards the wrong stuff. There's a draw in me towards things that are just not of God. And, and so the solution to that, it's, it's simple if you, if you like solutions and you want to hear it, it's just, there you go, just walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So you have to leave there. You can fulfill them, but you have to leave the spirit, and you have to enter back into the realm of the flesh, which is this place where there's, there's a battle that's going on in, in the believer. This battle isn't going on in the unbeliever because the unbeliever is stuck only in their flesh. And it says that in their flesh, it is impossible for them to be obedient to God or to be pleasing to God. Why? Because they don't understand the things of God because they're deceived by the little g-god of this world. Their eyes are blinded, and they cannot see. This is why it necessitates for a church body and the people of the church to understand the message that we've been given and the, the, the commission that we've been giving to go and to, and to help people to see his truth, to, to begin to understand the things of God. And, and the reason that God never tells us that we're supposed to just, over here in Matthew, that we're supposed to just go out and make converts. No, he says, go out and make disciples. Continue to help people to come into a deeper understanding of who this God is. Help them to understand the ways of God. Help them to wrestle through the really hard things about God's word because this is not easy stuff. And it's not stuff that doesn't challenge us. And it's okay to be challenged. We don't need to get mad at people who are challenged by God's word. We don't need to be upset at people who get offended at God's word. I've been offended by God's word. And if you haven't ever been offended by God's word, then I'm gonna just have to wonder how much of it you've really read because part of it is gonna come in opposition to you. And then the, the, the question becomes then, am I gonna love the things of God or am I gonna love the things of the world? Am I gonna choose him or am I gonna choose this in this moment? You see, and you can only serve one master, Jesus says. For you'll love one and you'll forsake the other. You can only serve one master at a time. We can either serve our flesh at times or we can serve the spirit. And if we serve the spirit, that's our solution to not serving the flesh. But if we choose to serve the flesh, we'll forsake the spirit because you can only be at one place at one time. These are warnings 
See, allegiance, our allegiance is given either to God or to the world. Oops. Something happened here. Uh, sorry. But we're told to be in this world, right? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. By getting the new information, by agreeing with God, by understanding the things that he's calling us to, the things that have their source and their origin in the love of God versus the love of this world. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know the will of God? Get in his word. Be transformed. Be changed. Let your mind be renewed into something else so that you can know what that looks like. See, and Dr. Tony Evans has a great little quip about this. He says, look, boats, you got to be in the world. God has called you to be in the world. He didn't just save you and then pull you out of the world and up to heaven. He saved you and he left you here in the midst of this place so that you can make a difference in this place so that you can reach out and you can fulfill the ministry that he has for you here. See, boats belong in the water, but water doesn't belong in boats. It doesn't work well that way. Water in boats sinks boats. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, right? In it, but not of it. Called into it, but in a different way, understanding a higher vision, a vision that is in agreement with the things of God. And there's a warning. There's lots of warnings about this stuff to believers. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see? Here it is. There are things that have their origins in the world, and there are things that have their origins in God. And those two can't do this. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, you can't expect lost people to do Christian things. You can't expect them to have the same authority that you have. They cannot please God. They cannot submit to it. Your flesh will not submit to the things of God. It cannot do it. It's impossible. It's only by the Spirit that we are able to submit and surrender ourselves to the things of God. You see, there's two economies in this world. One is the economy of the world. And if you subject yourself to the economy of this world, you'll be subject to the economy of this world. And you will get out of this what the world gives. And the world is run by a dictator and it says in John 10.10 10, that he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's not about life. He isn't about goodness. He isn't about getting you on his team. He's about destruction. He's about tearing down. He's about, he's about taking who you're created to be and who the people that are lost out there are created to, to be. And he's about distorting that. And he's about changing that. And he's about, he's about deceiving them. And he's ultimately about robbing the good things that God has for them in their lives. He's, he's about keeping them outside of being that new creation 
that's able to see and hear and relate to God on a completely different level. You see, God has an economy that's above that, this economy. And so for us as Christians, we have to figure out how to navigate and how to push through the economy of this world and up into a higher economy that, that belongs to God. And this is the place where blessing flows. You see, God's blessing doesn't flow in the economy of this world. When it comes to relationships and it comes to how you're going to do these things and maybe you're thinking about getting married or you're going to be in a relationship and if you choose to not do it God's way, you will then subject yourself to the economy of this world and you will reap out of the economy of this world. But this I believe and this I know because I've experienced some of it. When we press through the economy of this world and we believe in God and we press into this economy up here and we say, God, you've said it. Therefore, I know that it's the truth and that it's good and that it will bless me and that you are never a God who is trying to just withhold from me or take from me, that you are a God who is for me, then this is the place where God's blessing flows and we get to experience the reality of the goodness of why God has warned us about different things and has actually given some parameters to some things about life. See, this all goes back to Genesis 3, right? He tells us here, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from God. It's, it's, it's from the world. You see, when, if we look back here at Genesis 3, this is what we're going to see. It, it says that Eve she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was to be desired to make one wise. It was good for food. It would satisfy the flesh. It was the desire of the flesh. It was the desire of the eyes. It looked, it looked to be good and delicious. And then the pride of life it was good to make one wise. As a matter of fact, the deceit in the garden was that you won't need God, right? Did God really say, you know, you couldn't eat of the fruit of this tree of this garden? Oh, no. He said, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in this garden, but we just can't eat from the, from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Oh, yeah, yeah, God knows. Yeah, God knows that uh, in the day that you eat of that tree, that you'll be like God. You actually won't need God anymore in your life because actually at that point, you'll be God. And, and this is the very thing that God is actually trying to keep you from. You see, God is trying to keep and withhold the good things from you because he doesn't want you to be equal to him. He actually wants to hold you down here. And see, this is the deception that's in the world. And this is the deception that we believe so many times today too. We are faced with these things and we believe, man, if I actually did it God's way, I'm gonna lose I'm going to lose something, but God is like, no, you're not. If you, if you just let go of that, you're going to win, and I'm going to show you something completely amazing and different, and this is how this whole thing went, and this is still the deception that we live under. See, the world is temporal. It's, it's passing away, and there are two contrasting worlds and economies there's a wisdom of the world. John or James uh, 3.15 uh, says, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom that comes down from above is first pure, and then it's peaceable, and it's gentle, and it's reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering, and it's without hypocrisy. 
You see, the Bible is always reminding us there is a contrast. There is good and there's evil. And there are sources to good and evil. There are two different kinds of wisdoms. There are two different kinds of of uh, of of like the of of things and, and and where we live in a culture and in a time where everybody is just saying that love is love the bible isn't agreeing with that it says that there are sources for love that are right that are brought by the creator and 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 his design and his design for the individual and his design for the world and for the culture around us James 4.4 tells us that friendship with the world is is hostility towards God. And it tells us that those who do this thing will eventually live forever. See, we're all here and we're all struggling with things. And and, and we're all, there there are things that are in my life and things that are in your life and that that, that you want to justify and you want to justify them and, and you just want them to be okay. But many times those things are in opposition to the things of God's word and what God is calling us to. And, and I remind us again that this is a God who, who has our good, who, who desires good things. He's not a God who's trying to withhold or, or trying to steal from us. He's a, he's a God who wants to bless and a God who wants to give. But he is a God who, who one day, who one day is going to, who is going to write all of the wrongs. One day it's going to look like this, Revelation 21, verse 22, and it says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And and its lamp is the Lamb, and by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. These are the terms, and I don't set them. I don't set them. I'm not the authority. But when we look at it, when we look at what God is calling us to, there are things that are obvious. There are things that are just plain. And God is calling us to love the things that he loves and to not love the things of the world. And that's not an easy thing, and that's not a comfortable thing. But we need to do that as, as, as people who love in the same way that Jesus loved, not coming against the world, coming for the world, coming for those so that those who are lost and who are struggling might be able to see the light, that they might be able to hear the things of God and the transformation that only he can do. See, pointing the finger isn't going to change anybody. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to help somebody. But Jesus, Jesus changes lives. He, he fundamentally changes perspectives. He heals and he brings life. And I know that because I know what he did in my life. I know how much he changed my life. I know how much he's shifted my perspective. I know how much he's changed me from the guy I used to be. And I'm far from perfect. 
I still need him every day. But I'm not who I was. I'm not that same guy who was lost in the dark, who was groping around, who was, who was just chasing sin, trying to find satisfaction in the thing that I could only find in a relationship with him. So, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that your intent for us is good. We thank you that you have life and, 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 and goodness, but, but that you're the author of all of this, that you're our creator, and that, Lord, we just want to stand here submitted to you, submitted to your power and to your goodness and to who you are. We, we want to agree with you in the things that you call us to to agree in. We want to love the things that you love, and, and we want to be kept from, from just loving the things that, you, that, that are of this world. We want to be sourced back into you and not into the things of this world. We don't, want to, we don't want to follow the deception of this world. We want to follow the truth of who you are. And so we're asking that you would change us and that you would search our hearts today. And, and the things that we have in our hearts today that are in opposition to who you are, that God, we would you would help us to, to, to realign those things, that you would heal us of the brokenness even that's, that's brought us to these places. God, we just know and recognize that and acknowledge that, that, that this picture of sin has, has had a real effect. It, there, there, there's been so much brokenness that's been perpetuated and it's been, it's been perpetuated for generations. And, and difficult things have, have come into our own lives and things that have have. have have shifted us into, into thinking, into acting on things that aren't in alignment with who you are. And so, God, we, uh, we just want to line ourselves back up. We just want to hear from you. We, we want to trust you, and we want to know your word well enough to have a standard that we might live our life by, something to anchor up to. And we want to give praise and glory and honor to who you are. Because this world is passing away, and the things and the systems of this world will pass away, and they will pass away, and what will be left is the truth of you and your kingdom and your goodness and your love, and so we give all glory to you in Jesus' name.